Hello, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Mount Sinai Health Partners podcast. I'm Rob Fields, a CMO for Pop Health at Mount Sinai. And today I'm speaking again with one of our wonderful independent providers, Greg Dodell, who's an endocrinologist and primary care physician in our network. And thanks for joining us, Greg. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Greg, um, so you're from New York originally? I'm from LA, actually. Yes, that's right. Yes. I thought I remember that you're not from here. So I, I feel did... like a New Yorker <laughs> <Is that> forever. <laughs> I mean, I went to summer camp in the East Coast from age 11. So okay. all my friends playing sports and everything from age 11 onward are from New all York, pretty coasts. much, yeah, or yeah. Connecticut or Boston. So, right. And my dad's from New York, so I always kind of gravitated here, anyways. Lots of roots in there. Yes, yes, for sure. So tell us a little bit about how you ended up here. Um, yeah, what brought you to New York? So I ended up in here, up in New York. Uh, I was in Albany for med school. And I always okay. kind of loved the idea of being in New York City, so I came down here for, for residency at St. Luke's Roosevelt. Um, I did a rotation at Mount Sinai with Dr. Jeff Mechanic um, when I was an endocrine fellow, and I kind of just loved that, and also did an elective there as a med student. So I, I've always kind of gravitated to Mount Sinai and felt like that's the place to be. So it yeah. really feels good to kind of be part of this network and yeah, kind of feels like home in some sense, because I always kind of had my eye on Mount Sinai as the place I wanted to be. Yeah. Well, we're certainly glad to have you. But um, why endocrine? So, I mean, it sounds like you had some mentors, but yeah, no, I had mentors. But really, second year med school, I was sitting in the big auditorium. You know, I guess that's when people probably still <laughs> went to class, and you know, before <laughs> right. you know, everything was online. That's right. And uh, we had a professor, Dr. Desimone, who ran up and down the stairs about endocrine. He was a big diabetes guy, and he was so excited. And I really didn't know much about endocrine. But kind of the more I heard about it and the thyroid and the physiology and diabetes all just kind of made sense to me. You know, it was like a big puzzle. And I kind of started realizing like, okay, if you can make a diagnosis in endocrine, you can really help someone. And that was just like such a cool thing to me. Yeah. Because there was treatment pretty much for most of the stuff. Right. And, you know, as I said, the physiology was really interesting. And I also liked the idea of there was acute and chronic components to it. Right. You know, so if you see someone in the hospital, you know, in DKA, you can really help them, yeah. you know, while they're there and save their sure. life. Right. But then, you know, they may be 18 or 19 and you may follow them for the next several decades yeah. as, as your patient. You know, so and, I really like that. And, and in this context, exactly what you're saying, you're not only seeing them for their endocrine conditions, you have a whole panel of patients that you're seeing as their primary care physician, as an internist. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Which, you know, I always liked the idea. I don't know, maybe I'm old fashioned, but I think we're kind of going back to that in a lot of ways with this value based care is I want to take care of the whole patient. Like right. I want to know them. I want them to know about their family, what they do for work, but I also want to manage their, their health and their chronic condition. So this, yeah. this gives me the chance to do that. To do both. Yeah. Um, so not only did you decide to come to New York, which is challenging on itself, you decided to go into private practice and not be employed, which is against the trend that we see across the country. You, you chose a, this path. Right, right. So, I um, think I may be an anomaly. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'll disclose I'm under the age of 40, and I don't think I have any friends in healthcare who are in private practice, Right. let alone I think I'm the only one of many of my friends who actually became a doctor, so <laughs> it's kind of like an uphill battle. Right. Um I did it because I think, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm old fashioned in that sense of, you know, I kind of wanted to have control of, of some of those things and the way I take care of patients and just the idea of, I mean, I don't do home visits or anything. That, yeah, that's sure. kind of like, I always wanted to be a doctor and that was kind of my vision of like how I wanted to practice medicine. Yeah. Um, so this kind of worked for me and I, I had the opportunity to come into this practice and, and it's been great. 
Now, in the midst of that, I know from a previous conversation, you also had a fire. Yes. Which we haven't got. Well, I had yes. a, we had a fire at our place, and I was in independent practice, too. It's no joke. But uh, What happened? Yeah, so so my partner, Dr. Benemitz, retired in July um, 2018, or 2017, actually. And six months later, I'm sitting here in the office, and I'm seeing patients in the exam room. I said to the patient, do you smell smoke? And he's like, yeah. So I look out the window, because sometimes people are smoking out there. Sure. It's coming in. And I'm like, okay, no one's smoking out there. I open the exam room door, and everyone's like, we got to get out of here. So I, I, we get out of there. I was done with my exam. Whenever we run out, and for like two hours in January, we're standing on the street not knowing what's going to happen to the office. Oh, my god! And I'm like literally looking up above our office, and there's a huge fire. The balcony is on fire. Oh, my gosh. And we're like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen. So I just took a walk because I was pacing and just didn't. Yeah, yeah, it was just imagine. so uncertain. We were all just standing there. And couple hours later like okay you guys can go back in i'm like great the place isn't on fire so we come in and i walk to the back offices and water's just pouring down onto our computer system onto the desk the the walls are warped and i'm like you know what choice do i have i just jumped into action i sent everyone home i stood here by myself with my office manager called the insurance company and said look this is what's going on i need to act on this and they said this is what you need to do you need to call this company serve pro they come in they dehumidify and they yeah. suck all the water out and whatever monday morning i came in here i called three contractors from the building they started work tuesday i called a colleague or actually a colleague helped me out dr fowler and we were in his office tuesday so i literally missed one day of work it's amazing and uh and the contractors, I pleaded, you know, I'm a doctor. I have a lot of patients. I really need this done, like, ASAP. And yeah. literally in four weeks, they had this place completely done. And it looks beautiful. Thank it you. It's great. Yeah, so that was that was a little crazy. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's nice, the, the community, though, of physicians that came and helped you out. Right, like you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll definitely pat Sinai on the back, too, because they knew what was going on. I think we, we made our contacts um, with Sinai knowing about this. And they said, okay, we have some offices, go look. You know, we walked up on Monday afternoon, this happened on a Friday, and looked at some potential spaces, and they were really all about trying to help us out yeah. to keep things going. So that was yeah. that was really nice to be part of. That's awesome. It's part of the, the community. Yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, having been through a remarkably similar experience, it's uh, it's terrifying, for yep. sure. Um, yeah. It's not what you signed up when you <laughs> signed up for when you went to med school, I'm sure. Yeah, it was a Friday afternoon, and I just spent that weekend just not knowing what was going to yeah, happen. Gonna happen I, that was the first time I was really by my by myself as yeah. a, as an owner of this business. My partner was gone. It was yeah. just me and a staff I had to take care of. Yeah, exactly. Tell me when you when you decided to go into private practice um, and thinking about how to really maybe for the first time being in tune with the business parts of practice what surprised you the most yeah i mean all the stuff that happens on the back end which you know i really credit my office manager and our our staff because they've been doing it a lot longer than i have and i think that's been so reassuring and i really lean on them and and i let them run with it mm-hmm. you know vanessa my office manager is just amazing i mean she right. just really it's always the key right? i mean it's just incredible what she does and i kind of just have full confidence that she can take care of things and i'm able to really see patients so i think you know opening a practice from day one would have been very different from mm-hmm. like coming into a practice that's existed for 30 years you know with yeah, the that staff helps. that really knows the ins and outs and yeah. have, been, have made the mistakes and kind of can yeah. can remedy things easily yeah that that's helped a bunch a bunch i hope so i didn't feel like i was kind of starting from scratch you know i right. was approached by another doctor who's from another system who said basically 
look, I'm going to subsidize your practice. I think there's a need for endocrine on the west side. I want you to open your own practice. I'm going to pay for everything. I want you to start from square one and build this thing. And after five years, it's yours. But I want to basically be a partner for the first five years. I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. But looking back, I just don't think I could have made it happen. Like, I just didn't know. And we just don't learn that in med school. Like, there's no way I could have opened the door and been like, okay, I'm going to negotiate these contracts. I'm going to see pay. There's just no way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that it sounds like you've got a, a great team here that's helped. Yeah. When you, from a leadership perspective now, uh, after the, your, the, I guess, more senior partner retired, mm-hmm. how do you approach your staff now? Do you guys meet regularly? How do you, how do you manage that in terms of building the sense of team? So a sense of team is, for me, everything. I don't, I mean, I know this is so cliche, but I don't think about it as like I, I think about it as we, you know, mm-hmm. they've been here longer than I have. Yes, I'm the owner of the business, but they've been here. This is their livelihood. This is their family. Mm-hmm. And we spend a lot of hours here. So, you know, I try and buy lunch once a week at least, you know, Mm -hmm. went out for a holiday dinner. I try and, you know, we all eat together and I try and know about their families and their kids and what's happening. And not because I'm trying to like wine and dine them, you know, because I care. I really think of it as like a family family. atmosphere. And I think that extends to the patients because, you know, we can kind of like joke back and forth with the staff in front of yeah. the patients and they see it's like, yeah, they you know, feel at home. they feel at home. They walk in. We know them. They know us. Yeah. I mean, some patients in their 70s or 80s have been coming here for 30, 40 years. Right. You right. know, and they they know Vanessa and they know Amy and they know the front desk, you know, so yeah. that I think that's intentional, but it's also not intentional. You yeah. know, it's just kind of the environment that that we're cultivating. Absolutely. Uh, often I, I'm a primary care physician myself and we talk about uh, when I talk to other administrators for years now trying to help them understand the value of primary care because often the folks I interact with are full-time administrators Mm -hmm. not clinical at Mm -hmm. all or they're often specialists that Mm -hmm. uh, forget you know their time as maybe in residency when they were doing primary care Um, and you alluded to it just now the long-term relationships with patients and the value that provides Mm you know, I, I'm curious about your thought, you know, as we as we talk next about the move to value. Right. How do you figure in those relationships? Like, how do you um, value that those long-term relationships and its impact on things like cost and utilization down the road? How do you, how do you see that interplaying? Yeah, I mean, I think that's having those relationships is going to help people in the long run to stay healthier mm-hmm. because having a relationship where they feel like they can come to me and talk about their stress or they can talk to me about you know, significant other or, or, you know, whatever's happening that, that I'm really someone that they can trust. I think that extends to overall health Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's cathartic for them to come here. Mm -hmm. And if I can say, look, and I can put everything, you know, not necessarily in a vacuum, but in the big picture, yeah, your blood pressure is a little bit high, but I know you're going through a transition at work and things like that. Why don't you come back and see me in a month, you know, and let's see how things are going. Yeah. you know, what are you doing for your stress? You know, yeah. I think that extends and that brings value to the patient. It also helps me have value in what I'm doing day to day. Yeah, absolutely. Because I know the patient, I know I'm helping them more than just treating a number. Right. You know, and I think that that's how people are going to stay better in the long run. Absolutely. I know in, in talking with you before, you you mentioned stress and helping patients deal with stress. stress. You have a, um, not really a side interest, but a, a parallel interest and philosophy around mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you might talk a little bit about how you got started with that and how you incorporated it in your practice. Yep. So, so we were talking before, and I think that's how we kind of got interested maybe in doing yeah. this podcast interview, yeah. which is 
I had taken a course called Mindfulness Based Stress Reduction, Mm -hmm. which my wife had kind of urged me for like a decade to take, pretty (laughs) much. Um, But I never really recognized that I was stressed or anxious or whatever. And I mean, a lot falls on our shoulders as doctors, right? And I think that in the business, I mean, in the business, people to depend on. Yeah, and we all kind of feel it. But, you know, I was just kind of unaware and I was just in the grind. So, anyways, I took this course and it was an eight week course, two and a half hours a week. And I felt like it really just opened things up for me and I was kind of more aware of kind of what was happening in my daily life and it brought a lot of the joy back to practicing medicine. So I've tried to continue to do that and have a meditation practice. Mm -hmm. And and meditation, I think people think of like, oh, I got to have a dedicated time and I got to sit there for 20 minutes and have my legs crossed and all that. Meditation or mindfulness is just kind of like being aware of the moment and just taking a deep breath and looking around and you know, smelling what's around or what you can touch or what you can see and things like mm-hmm. that. And I think that when I was doing this course and actually I was doing this course in the middle of this fire, like oh basically gosh. living in another office, you oh know, at gosh. the time. So right. maybe like the apex of my stress. And I was doing right. this course and I was like, this is kind of crazy, but I was like aware of it. And it wasn't like good or bad. It was just like, this is what's happening right now. This is where I am. I'm sitting in like a small cell seeing patients, basically. (laughs) You know, there was no window and like, you know, it was just a very small exam room and I was spending nine hours a day there. So I've continued to do the meditation, but just listening to a patient's heart, I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Like I'm listening to someone's like livelihood here or taking a blood pressure or just talking to a patient like i think you can lose track of that or i i was losing track of it yeah it's finding uh being present at every moment right like sounds like... i mean that's the goal it yeah. certainly doesn't happen no, you know no, no, i right. certainly am like on my emr clicking away and seeing <laughs> just okay, like everybody else. now i have 30 telephone <laughs> encounters you know and, and right. that's that's the struggle you know right. it's like do i just avoid looking at that tab or do i look at it and say okay like i'm actually here with a patient right now i'm i'm not dealing with those encounters right now right. i'm going to deal with them at some point but right now i'm not going to let that take away from this from the moment, moment. Yeah. yeah greg when you uh, you know obviously the the little bit in healthcare financing and economics that we get in med school and residency which as you referenced earlier is approaching zero in most instances mm-hmm. um but then you get into business and you deal with the contracts and all that stuff and try to negotiate that with maybe what you sometimes it's it's reinforces you know it's it, it supports what you think is right sometimes it doesn't i imagine there's tension between the business and and sometimes what it, what you would want for a patient sometimes um and now you've entered into this road to value with all of us in the network mm-hmm. what, what's your impression do you do you buy it do you not are there things that worry you about it things that don't have i 100 percent buy it because you know as a physician you know in primary care and endocrine my focus is really a cognitive specialty so <laughs> So endocrinologists don't get paid to do procedures, right. really. Right. You know, there aren't right. ma- there aren't many procedures. Right. So for me, it's like a no brainer because I've thought, just like most primary care doctors have thought, like I should really be getting paid as much as someone doing a procedure because I'm spending thirty minutes talking to someone about their nutrition and their stress and all right. these things, and that's a value, but it's not being recognized. Yeah. So now I'm hoping that okay, this is being recognized. Yeah, and not to obviously take anything away from the people no, doing the procedures because right. they're great and and they're doing you what they're them, supposed right, to sure. do, but we're on the same p- page. Mm-hmm. And I think there was like a large divide probably between a cognitive specialist and someone doing procedures, which hopefully we can all encompass the value that we're providing. Sure, 
And to me, that's that's what it's all about. And that's why I want these interactions with patients because I want to give value, but I also running a business and right. I want to be Stuff paid to make for payroll. it. <laughs> yeah, I still want to be paid for it. You yeah. know? No, of course. Um, what what have been some challenges on the road? I, so an example would be, I know that sometimes the quality stuff can be a huge drag. The way we, we the general system, not just Mount Sinai, but I, I think we're just as guilty as others on the clicky boxy stuff that drives mm-hmm. people crazy. Mm-hmm. But besides that, are there other things that about in, the, in terms of the execution that have been frustrating or annoying? I mean, I mean, it's a pretty new thing, right? I mean, there's going to be kind of bumps in the road, but I think if we can keep our eye on the prize of that in, intrinsic in the name of this is value-based care. Mm-hmm. So if like we're all on board with, yes, this is a means to an end to create value and hopefully make us all happier physicians, providers, and, sure. and have better patient outcomes, you know, it's just something we have to deal with. Yeah. You know, I think that we obviously hear so much about burnout, mm-hmm. you know, out there, you know, in articles and things like that. I, I was listening to this thing, you know, about, well, it's not burnout, it's really moral injury. Oh, I saw that. Right? I, I, I don't know if it's Z, the Z-Dog. Z-Dog, yeah. Z-dog, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's over the top, but I, you know, I think he has a point in some sure. sense of like, we all went into this you know, medical school or even before, even as a kid, I wanted to be a doctor and we, we were doing it from its moral standpoint of like a calling, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you get into a system where you just kind of like feel frustrated that you're not able to do what you want to be doing. Mm -hmm. So I think hopefully being in a value-based system is going to align more of like the morality of what we're trying to accomplish and put us in a network where everyone has the same vision instead of, you know, not doing that. Right. And being injured or having PTSD or whatever you want to call it. I had a similar reaction and certainly hope that your your hope for this is certainly where I'm at is if we have the same hopes about how this system should work and how the realigning the finances might help yeah. prevent some of that. Absolutely, yeah. So hopes for the future for your practice? Or what what are you thinking? You know what I what I think is I've become very involved in like digital medicine, digital therapeutics. Mm-hmm. I'm now on this um, a board of called the Digital Therapeutics Alliance, which is a healthcare advisory board. Okay. And I think that part of the part of the equation of value-based care is technology. So, you know, we talk about EMRs, so creating an EMR that's really in line with our moral yeah, right. you know, fabric of what we're yeah. trying to do and and not kind of using it against us, but using it for us, using things like apps to mm-hmm. create better outcomes, like a lot of nutrition apps, a lot of diabetes apps, things like that. I've started doing some telemedicine in my practice. So really bringing medicine to patients and to and to everyone. You know, a lot of these companies, you know, people are really busy. They can't leave and go to the doctor and things like that. Right. So how do we how do we merge with them? How do we kind of partner with these big companies? Yeah. You know, rather than just being isolated. You know, I think being in private practice can be very isolating. And that's that's what I like about the network. So that's the right. other thing I would say is, you know, the Baskins and Greisman and Fowler and all these people that are part of like my West Side pod and Atia. <laughs> right. You know, right. these are people I kind of trained under, you know, in yeah. residency and fellowship. And it's right. like so cool that we're all part of this them. and like we're sharing patients. And that's my vision for the future, hopefully, is that not being isolated, being really together in this. Awesome. Greg, really appreciate your yeah, time. No, this is great. Thank and, you. Um, and really in- enjoy talking with you and in particular the ways that you've integrated these other parts and the digital piece I didn't even know about. But yeah, also that's pretty the mindfulness yeah. piece and um, really cool stuff. Thank you. Yeah, thanks that's for doing great. what you do. Yeah, no, thank you.
Um, if anyone has uh, other ideas for future podcasts, please email me at robert.fields at mountsinai.org. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>